0: ECO Report is a weekly public affairs program
1: providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. ECO Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers
0: working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana,
1: and financially supported by listeners like you.
0: Hello, and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly,
1: and I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And now for today's environmental news brief.
2: From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Thursday, September 9th. I'm Nathaniel Weinzaffel. The path of Hurricane Ida has left destruction to many pipelines and cables in the Gulf of Mexico. For example, a substantial oil spill has been found off of Louisiana's coast, in which three pipelines are leaking. Talos Energy has been diving in the area of the pipeline in order to stop the leaking, but does not take responsibility for the spill. Luckily, the rate of oil reaching the surface has slowed down over the weekend. The Coast Guard has begun monitoring the situation and assessing the environmental impacts of the spill. A recent study through the Indy Star has sought to understand how much of the U.S. carbon emissions are coming from Indiana. According to the research, 290 million metric tons of energy-related carbon dioxide was released into the atmosphere in Indiana in 2018, which places the state as the eighth most polluting state in the country. Indiana is also more reliant on coal than other areas of the country. In both 2019 and 2020, more coal was consumed in Indiana than all but two other states. At the current moment, there is no movement at the state level to move away from fossil fuels. The study emphasizes reducing fossil fuel consumption as being the main solution to the pollution. The recent United Nations Climate Report indicates the degree of urgencies needed to address carbon emissions. Opposition has been growing against the proposed pipeline connecting Kentucky to new gas-fired electrical generators in Posey County, Indiana. Environmental organizations have cited the environmental impacts to parts of Indiana and Kentucky that could be greatly affected by the pollution and construction of the pipeline. Similarly, the increase in emissions from electrical generators could further harm air quality in the state. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources has warned that the pipeline would hurt many animal and plant species including those on the Endangered Species list. CenterPoint Energy, the company behind the project, is still waiting approval from the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission to begin construction. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel wines And now for
0: our our environmental headline stories. How much of the U.S. carbon emissions come from Indiana? Hint, it's a lot. That was the headline in a recent story in the Indy Star. There are a var- variety of sectors that emit pollution causing gases, including transportation, industry, and agriculture. One of the biggest contributors is the energy sector, which often is providing electricity for the others. The United States is way up there, second only to China, when it comes to emissions. Within the U.S., just 10 states account for half, 51 percent, of the country's carbon dioxide that's released from energy and electricity. Indiana is one of them. It may come as no surprise that states such as California and Texas emit more than Indiana. They're huge. But the Hoosier state emitted nearly 190 million metric tons of energy-related carbon dioxide in 2018, the most recent data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. That is the eighth most across the country. When you do account for population, however, the list of states that make up the top ten for per capita energy-related carbon dioxide emissions, according to the Energy Administration, is different. States such as California and Texas drop off, while Alaska, Wyoming, and Montana pop up. While they have relatively low overall emissions, their small populations make the per-person number higher. There are only two states that are on both lists for high overall emissions, as well as those per capita. Louisiana and, yep, Indiana. Furthermore, if the toxic emissions are also considered, Indiana is the worst offender. During the Trump era, our utilities were allowed to reduce scrubbing of gases to maximize profit. Quote, Indiana is not the most populous state, but because our electrical mix is so fossil fuel intensive, not to mention our manufacturing and transportation, we get on two bad lists at the same time. End quote, said Gabe Filippelli, the executive director for Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute. Quote,
1: it's not a mystery as to why Indiana is not keeping pace with many states across the country, end quote, said David Kaniski, a professor at IU's School of Public and Environmental Affairs, who focuses on environmental policies. Quote, it all goes to policy and the fact that we've not required in the utility sector for companies to generate more electricity from renewables. We are still much more reliant on coal here than in other parts of the country end quote. He's not wrong. In both 2019 and 2020, more coal was consumed in Indiana than all but two states in the U.S., data shows. And when it isn't coal, it's usually natural gas. Wind and solar accounted for less than 10% of Indiana's electricity generation last year. Indiana currently is in the process of discussing and deciding its energy policy for the future. Several state leaders have said they think an all-of-the-above approach will be the right fit, which includes renewables but also keeps some fossil fuels in the mix. We cling to coal, even with many studies showing that all of our power could come from wind and solar. One of Indiana's utilities has announced plans to retire all its coal plants by the end of the decade and move heavily into renewables. Others, however, are not planning to retire their coal plants for more than 15 years, or they are proposing to replace them with natural gas. Konisky says, quote, There's no big push from the state to move away from fossil fuels. That move is happening in Indiana, but not at the same pace as in other states, end quote. Quote, From a U.S. standpoint, that will require everyone taking action, from California to Indiana and everyone in between, end quote, Konisky said. It will be very difficult for the U.S. to meet the reductions needed if states like Indiana don't
0: do their fair share. Air pollution, according to EcoWatch, is connected to a number of serious health consequences, and a recent study linked exposure to air pollution to the increased severity of mental illness. The study was published in the British Journal of Psychiatry tested 13,000 people in London, and used frequency of admission to hospitals or visits to community doctors and nurses as a measure of severity. Findings concluded that relatively small increases in exposure to nitrogen dioxide had negative effects on mental health, including a 32% increase in the risk of needing community-based treatment and an 18% increase in the risk of being admitted to a hospital. A small reduction of just a single pollutant could help reduce illness related to air pollution. This isn't the first time this form of pollution is linked to other illnesses. Dirty air is also linked to increased suicides. Unrelated studies have also linked air pollution to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and stroke. The pollutants correlated with a litany of health issues are nitrogen dioxide and small particle pollution, which are produced by burning fossil fuels. Phasing out of fossil fuels could help decrease instances of physical and mental illness. The health effects of air pollution have not reached a level of concern by the Indiana legislature. Indiana is frequently ranked among the most polluted states in the country. According to the EPA's Toxics, release inventory, using data from 2019 to the most recent, Indiana releases more chemicals and pollutants per square mile than any other state. The Times of Michigan City reports the City Council is asking
1: NIPSCO to remove all coal ash from the Michigan City Generating Station site when the plant closes on or before 2028. The Council unanimously passed a resolution to that effect recently saying removal is preferable to placing a cap on coal ash that has accumulated at the century-old coal-fired power plant. Quote, This is all about protecting drinking water here in Michigan City, end quote, said Councilman Bryant Dabney. Resident Joe Sherman lives near the plant and said it's vital to all people who enjoy walking the beach and who drink water from Lake Michigan. Resident Ernie Halloran wondered if the coal ash is to be transported to another location— how would the toxic waste be transported? Council members and residents were referred to the Earth Justice website, which has a report called Cleaning Up Coal Ash for Good and an 18 page appendix focused on reuse and economic impacts of Nipsco's Michigan City site on the Lake Michigan shoreline.
0: The Indiana Environmental Reporter says several environmental and consumer advocacy organizations have come out against a proposed natural gas pipeline project that would link potential gas-fired electric units to a natural gas network. The Sierra Club and the Citizens Action Coalition have come out in opposition to the proposed construction of a 24-mile Texas gas transmission pipeline connecting Robarbs, Kentucky, to two possible new gas-fired electric generating units at Center Points Energy's A.B. Brown Generating Station in Posey County. CenterPoint Energy has not received approval from the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission, the agency that approves energy projects in the state, and the possibility exists that construction of the new units could be denied, making the Texas Gas Transmission Project a pipeline to nowhere. Texas Gas Transmission also wants the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission to approve the project without having to complete an environmental impact statement. The Sierra Club says that the proposed pipeline would cause additional environmental impacts to parts of Indiana and Kentucky that are already bearing a disproportionate share of pollution. They want to see a careful study to ensure that the full damage of this unneeded pipeline project is understood before the Commission acts on the application. The Sierra Club said the project could further harm air quality in Indiana, a state ranking near the top for emissions of carbon dioxide, nitrogen oxide, and sulfur dioxide, despite a comparatively low population. The Indiana Department of Natural Resources and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service have warned the pipeline project could cause significant impacts to animal and plant species, the groups and agencies said the project could also affect wetlands in Indiana, a state with only 15% of its original wetlands remaining. State lawmakers recently repealed protections for more than half of the state's 800,000 remaining wetland acres under state jurisdiction, although that ruling is now in question.
1: Ruby Montoya is a school teacher and resistor to the Dakota Access Pipeline who's being prosecuted as a terrorist by the U.S. government. Montoya and Jessica Reznicek, in protest against the pipeline, made four tiny holes in the pipeline before it was carrying oil. And for that act, Montoya is facing the prospect of up to 20 years in federal prison. Recently, Daphne Silverman, Montoya's new attorney, submitted a motion to change Montoya's prior guilty plea to not guilty on the basis of crucial new discoveries. Montoya's legal team has identified numerous major issues that should disqualify her original plea. For one thing, the prosecutor and pipeline company allege that millions of dollars of damage was done, but an expert hired by Silverman says it's less than $50,000. In addition, some charges filed by the prosecutor require the pipeline to have been in use at the time it was allegedly damaged. It was not. Those distinctions make a huge difference in the case. Without damage of over $100,000 to an operational pipe, the charges don't qualify for federal court. And outside of federal court, there can be no terrorism enhancement. The government and law enforcement are demonstrating a pattern of deception with other pipeline resistors to criminalize constitutionally protected protest, elevate charges and label citizens as terrorists who care about the impact of the climate crisis on the planet.
0: As noted in a memo released at the end of August by the U.S. House of Representatives Natural Resources Committee, House Democrats will provide $550 million to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in the upcoming budget reconciliation package, including $100 million for some of the most critically imperiled species in the nation. The legislation will include $25 million to conserve and restore four of the country's most endangered species—butterflies, eastern freshwater mussels, southwest desert fish, and Hawaiian plants. Said Brett Hartle, Government Affairs Director at the Center for Biological Diversity, quote, This is the largest investment in the recovery of endangered species in a generation— If we're going to tackle the extinction crisis and save these incredible species from the brink, this is exactly the type of bold action that's needed. A 2016 study found that Congress provides only about 3.5% of the estimated funding the Fish and Wildlife Services scientists say is needed to recover species. Roughly one in four species receives less than $10,000 a year toward recover. And many of the endangered species that will benefit from the new funding receive nothing for recovery in a given year.
1: The New York Times reports that after a decade of disputing the existence of climate change, many leading Republicans are shifting their posture amid deadly heat waves, devastating drought, and ferocious wildfires that have bludgeoned their districts and unnerved their constituents back home. Members of Congress who long insisted that the climate is changing due to natural cycles have notably adjusted that view, with many now acknowledging the solid science that emissions from burning oil, gas, and coal have raised Earth's temperature. But their growing acceptance of the reality of climate change has not translated into support for the one strategy that scientists said in a major United Nations report this week is imperative to avert an even more harrowing future stop burning fossil fuels. Instead, Republicans want to spend billions to prepare communities to cope with extreme weather, but are trying to block efforts by Democrats to cut the emissions that are fueling the disasters in the first place. Dozens of Republicans in the House and Senate said in recent interviews that quickly switching to wind, solar, and other clean energy will damage an economy that has been underpinned by fossil fuels for more than a century. Quote, I'm not doing anything to raise the cost of living for American families, end quote, said Senator Rick Scott of Florida, where climate-fueled disasters have cost the state more than $100 billion over the past decade, according to estimates from the federal government. Mr. Scott said he wants to address climate change, but you can't do it where you're killing jobs. It's a message supported by polling, that shows Republican voters are more concerned with jobs than the environment. A Pew Research Center survey in May found just 10% of Republican and Republican-leaning independents were deeply concerned with addressing climate change, while a majority thought President Biden's ambitious plans to curb climate change would hurt the economy. A weakness in the position is the cost of continuing to emit carbon dioxide in huge amounts. A rise in ocean levels of 20 feet is entirely achievable within the next two centuries, which would require rebuilding many of our major cities and bring chaos to billions around the globe. If continued, our descendants could see ocean levels 100 feet above today's level.
0: The Biden administration has decided to capitulate to the fossil fuel industry and offer up 80 million acres of the Gulf of Mexico for oil and gas leasing. Two international bodies, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and the International Energy Agency, have stated that the climate crisis demands that there be no further fossil fuel infrastructure on the planet. As the public interest law firm Earth Justice says, quote, In the face of multiple climate fueled emergencies across the country, the actions of this administration speak much louder than its empty promises about addressing the climate crisis. End quote. The lease sale relies on a flawed and obsolete environmental analysis from 2017. Since then, important information has emerged about the dire state of the climate crisis and the potential harm to endangered species, including the rice's whale, one of the most endangered whales on the planet, which lives only in the Gulf of Mexico. According to Earth Justice, quote, For too long, the Gulf of Mexico has been treated like an oil and gas sacrifice zone. Under regulated oil and gas development, has consistently put Gulf Coast communities, coastal economies, and thousands of whales, sea turtles, dolphins, oysters, and other species in danger, end quote. Earth Justice is suing the federal government to challenge Biden's decision on the Gulf. Critically
1: endangered North Atlantic right whales are in the midst of an unusual mortality event. An estimated 50 whales have died in the last four years. Research published in Oceanography reveals that the climate crisis is the ultimate culprit in their declining numbers, as changing conditions have forced them into less protected waters. Researchers said that they moved so quickly, protection policies couldn't move with the whales. The North Atlantic right whales used to feed in the Gulf of Maine, a location that had protections to guard them against vessel strikes and fishing gear entanglements. Then, in 2010— Warm water entered the Gulf and caused the whales' food source, fatty crustaceans that prefer cold water, to plummet. Birth rates started declining that year, and the whales moved to the Gulf of St. Lawrence in Canada, where protections against vessel strikes and fishing gear were not in place. There are now fewer than 366 right whales left in the world, according to researchers, and there have been 21 known right whale deaths in Canadian waters between 2017 and 2020. That is a very high number in view of the three to six calves born each year. In 2020, to better protect the North Atlantic right whales in Canadian waters, a new trial voluntary slowdown in Cabot Strait was implemented during the bulk of the North Atlantic right whale migration in and out of the Gulf of St. Lawrence. The Cabot Strait is about 70 miles across and is the main exit for the St. Lawrence River into the ocean. Slowing vessels to 10 knots or under can reduce the lethality of a collision by 86%. According to a 2013 study of collision-related mortality in right Whales, which is why Oceania Canada is calling on Transport Canada to make the slowdown mandatory. Newer research has shown collisions with large ships are often lethal even at lower speeds, but limiting speed still helps reduce the risk. Global fishing watch data revealed 64% of vessels failed to comply with the 10 knot voluntary slowdown in Cabot Strait from April 28 to May 4, the first week the measure was in place in 2021.
0: Parts of the Gulf of Mexico are teeming with life. Underexplored reefs, there are still rich, something that other coral reefs can no longer say. Now-nonprofit conservation organization, Oceana, is working to protect the reefs before it's too late. This month, the organization completed its first-ever expedition to investigate and document the condition of two reefs in the Gulf of Mexico. Project Alacranes, focused on Scorpion Reef and the Bayos del Norte National Park, both located north of the Yucatan Peninsula and contain some of the greatest biodiversity in the Gulf. According to Oceana scientists, the two sites are both ecologically and economically relevant for the region. These surrounding waters support the important red snapper and grouper fisheries. And more than 15% of spiny lobster catches in the Yucatan are from the Scorpion Reef.
1: For Eco Report, I'm Cynthia Brubaker. And I'm Juliana Daly. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters, engineers, and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate tr- disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in south-central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll
0: need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for Eco Report, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org.
1: And now for our events calendar, the Bloomington Parks and Recreation Department is offering a navigation, the Art of Finding Yourself program on Saturday, September 11th from 3.30 to 5 p.m. at the Wapahani Mountain Bike Park. Learn tools of navigation from basic to advanced using the sun, moon, stars, trees, plants, erosion, and animals to determine direction and time and to find resources like food and water. Register at bloomington.in.gov parks.
0: Take a challenge and plan to participate in the then and now challenge at the Payne Town State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake on Sunday, September the 12th from 10 to 1130 a.m. Drop by the campground playground to see if you can match up historic images of locations at Monroe Lake with recent photos of those same sites. See what has changed and what has stayed the same. Did you know that Thursday, September 16th,
1: is National Pawpaw Day? Not the grandpa type, but the tree. There will be a National Pawpaw Day hike at Spring Mill State Park on Thursday, September 16th, from 11 a.m. to noon. Meet Tony at the Twin Caves parking lot to go for a pawpaw fruit hunt on part of Trail 3. Get to taste one of the great forgotten American fruits. This is a partially rugged hike.
0: Take a Bald Eagle Hacking Tower Hike at the North Fork Service Area at Monroe Lake on Friday, September the 17th from 10 to 11.30 a.m. An important part of Monroe Lake's history is the Indiana Bald Eagle Reintroduction Program. The hike will allow you to see remnants of the hacking tower where the eagles were raised and the observation tower. Sign up by September the 13th at http://bit.ly//hackhike-sep17-2021.
1: Come to the Bird Fest at the Switchard Park on Saturday, September 18th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. The Sassafras Audubon Society is co-hosting this event with Bloomington Parks and Recreation. Enjoy an interactive education celebration of bird biology, ecology, and conservation with hands-on activities, bird walks, speakers, live birds, and much more.
0: And that wraps up our show for this week.
1: This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green.
0: David Lyman assembled the script and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly, that's me, compiled our events calendar and Patrick Callan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Juliana Daly.
1: And I'm Cynthia Brubaker.
0: And this is Eco Report.